Steve, thanks very much. Friends, uh, very good morning to you. My name is James. I'm one of the, the team here. I'm also one of the mission partners, and uh, we should be in Tokyo, but we're stranded here with COVID, so um, it's a joy to be with you. And it's a joy particularly to open up this challenging passage of Scripture. We have a good God who loves us and seeks our best, so let's pray to him that he would speak to each one of us by his Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you love us so much. And yet, in many ways, what you say in your word this morning is confronting to us. Uh, I found this word confronting to myself. I know my own heart is greedy and hard. And so, Father, we pray, do by your spirit a great miracle in each one of us. Take hard hearts and melt them, soften them, and then send them out that they might love you and be captivated by your son, Jesus. For our good and for your glory, we pray in love, speak to each one of us. For Jesus' sake, amen. Greed is good. Greed is good. So said Gordon Gekko. It's his famous catchphrase in the film Wall Street. But it's not just Gordon Gekko, is it? So much around us echoes that catchphrase. You just need some more. Of all the sins we've looked at in this series, in many ways, I think this is the most socially acceptable. If you're not on a quest for more, there's almost something wrong with you. I had a friend who, who lived in Wimbledon, a, a kind of smart part of uh, southwest London, and uh, he had a kitchen that he was perfectly happy with. He'd had the same kitchen for about 40 years. And one day, a friend came for lunch, and they said to him, mocked him, saying, your kitchen is not Wimbledon worthy. Now, he was joking, but there was serious intent there. You should have upgraded. If we think that greed is just for the rich, though, look down at the, the local dairy and see the line queuing up for lotto. People just like us, average income people, yet convinced that that money will solve their every problem. Now, friends, despite the fact we have around us an almost pandemic of greed, talking about money, talking about money amongst ourselves, and certainly talking about money from, church, from the front of church is almost taboo. And there's some justification with that, isn't there? We can all think of greedy pastors who've abused their pulpit and ironically twisted the scriptures to enhance their bank balances. But I just want to assure you this morning, I am not on commission. If you give more today, I don't get paid more. And none of the pastoral team, none of the exec, know who gives or how much you give. But I do want to speak boldly and frankly to us this morning, because Jesus is bold about money. He is really clear and firm about greed and money because he knows it's a serious matter. Just have a look at these words of Jesus. He says, no one can serve two masters, since he will either love one and hate the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot he says, you cannot serve God and money. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's not saying this to be harsh. He's saying it with love in his eyes. That if you are greedy, if you are devoted to money, you cannot be. You are not devoted to God. And if you are devoted to God, that if you are devoted to money, that means you despise God. And that has eternal consequences. But greed's not just a problem for eternity, is it? A love of money actually ruins our life now. I wonder what you would do for $10 million. 
I can think of a whole bunch of dumb things I'd be tempted to do for $10 million. I'm not going to embarrass myself by owning up to them. But in a recent survey, uh, that very question was asked. 25% of respondents said they'd abandon their families for $10 million. 23% said they'd be a prostitute for a week. 16 said they would leave their spouses. 3% said they would put their kids up for adoption. Isn't that incredible? Maybe some of you think that might not be bad for $10 million, but <laughs> that is incredible, isn't it? Money, they eyed the money and they lost sense of reality. Money is deceptive. Wealth is deceptive. It makes us crazy. But friends, more positively, generosity is good, isn't it? We know that generosity is good. Think of people here who are just outstandingly generous, and there's something so wonderful and winsome about them, isn't there? The person who is happy to loan their things, who's happy to give, not because they're massively wealthy, but just because they're generous. And when their things get broken or, or, or something gets lost, they're not all rattled by it. Generosity is so good. So much so that many uh, modern business publications urge business leaders, make your business generous. It's a key to success. Something ironic in that, but it's a key to success. Because life for the person who dies to greed and rises to generosity is, in fact, the good life. Jesus says this to give us the best life now. In our outline, I've put two things that if we lose sight of, we will be greedy. And I kind of had in mind that we might forget these things. I now realize, having thought about this a bit more, it's not that we just forget these things. These are, the opposite of these things are lies that the world is throwing at us. Australian entrepreneur Renee Rivkin says, he who dies wins the most toys. And the world says to us, the good life is about having as much stuff as possible. And we must not forget that the good life is not about an abundance of stuff. Have a look at Luke 12. Someone from the crowd says to Jesus, Teacher, tell, me, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus responds with a sober warning, doesn't he? Friend, he said, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter over you? He then told them, watch out and be on your guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of possessions. Friends, just think about this for a moment. This is... The more you think about this, this is a bizarre scene. These two brothers are standing before Jesus, standing before the creator of the universe. And they can ask him anything, and they're fussing about a few thousand dollars of inheritance. They've missed the point, totally. And yet, how many of us are the same? It would be like going to a top Auckland restaurant with everything on display, and you ask for beans on toast. It's bizarre. And yet, sadly, so many of us have missed the point. We should be pursuing the eternal treasures of God, and yet we're chasing the trinkets of this life. And look at Jesus' language. Watch out. Be on guard against all greed. He doesn't say greed is good. He doesn't say some greed is good. He says all greed is dangerous. We need to be careful, lest it damage or kill us. When our son Ren was about three, uh, he saw, for the first time, uh, an advert on TV. Until then, we kind of only watched Netflix, but for some reason, we watched live TV. And he said, Daddy, what is that advert? And for some reason, I said, uh, Ren, that is something that is trying to make you covered. It is trying to make you want something you do not need. And I left it there. I didn't think any more of it. And I'm pretty sure he didn't really understand what I meant. 
But it was interesting, a couple of years later, to hear Enna, our second child, ask the same question. And Ren said straight away, Enna, that is something making you want something you don't need. <laughs> and isn't that very interesting from a, a little child's mouth? It's so true, isn't it? We're surrounded by commercials and influencers and adverts and billboards that try and persuade us we need a better house, more clothes, a smellier perfume, whatever it might be. Life is in abundance of stuff. The world lies to us. And if we believe that, then we can't be generous. Because if, abund if life is an abundance of stuff, then giving stuff away undermines and threatens a good life, doesn't it? So Jesus tells him this parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I, have, I don't have anywhere to store my crops? It's a nice problem to have, isn't it? He's got too much. He's got an abundance. So what does he do? Does he give some away? Does he be generous? No, he says to himself, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and goods there. And why does he want to do this? This gets us to the heart of the matter, I think. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. As if that is the pinnacle of life. Relax. Enjoy yourself. Because he's bought the lie that the good life is all about having stuff. I have, therefore I am. That's his philosophy, isn't it? But God said to him, you fool. You fool. You believe this stupid lie. And this very night, your life will be demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Certainly not yours. You don't enjoy them. And what's more, you go to stand before your maker. And you will find that you have loved money, devoted yourself to money, and despised your maker. And the consequences will be eternal. And then Jesus says, that is how it will be with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. It is a sober warning, a loving warning, because life is more than stuff. But part of the reason that greed, that wealth is so deceptive is because in part, wealth, money does help us get things, doesn't it? It's a wonderful tool. If I have money and I get sick, I can hire the best doctor. If I have a problem and I have money, I can hire the best lawyer. If I have money and I'm bored, I can buy the best toys. But so quickly, this tool, this servant, can become our savior and lord. And we end up serving it. And if we serve money, we do not serve Jesus. And our eternal soul is in great danger. Friends, I wonder if we believe this. I wonder as we look around at the world whether we believe this. Our neighbor buys a newer and fancier car. Our workmate buys a boat. Somebody somehow books a foreign holiday. I don't know how they do that, but somehow they do it. <laughs> do we think that they have nothing unless they have Christ? Do we see that for all their toys and trinkets, they have nothing unless they have Christ? Or do we envy them? Jeff Bezos, for all his billions, one day will die and stand before his maker and then have nothing. Nay, he'll have less than nothing. Because unless he is in Christ, he will lose his eternal soul. But it's not just for eternity, is it? If our hearts are greedy, we'll never be satisfied 
with our possessions. We'll always want more. I remember the very first time I bought an iPhone, and, and I loved it. It was, so, it was Christmas time, and I spent the whole day kind of fiddling with it and downloading things, and, and then over the next few weeks, I just looked at it, it so beautiful, and sometimes I'd stroke it when no one's looking. <laughs> and then they brought out a slightly better one, and, and the camera had a few more pixels, and, and it weighed seven grams less, and suddenly this phone was dead to me. It, I just, it was nothing. Still had it, still worked perfectly fine, still took good photos, I still had all the apps, but I wasn't interested. And the issue is not with the stuff, is it? It's with the heart. Because if our hearts are greedy, we long for more and more and more. There's something that drives us. And Augustine says, O greedy men, what will satisfy you if God himself will not? That if actually our hearts are greedy, nothing will satisfy us. Even if we have God himself, if God will not satisfy us, then we'll never be satisfied. And when you think about it, if God thought our biggest problem was our lack of stuff, what would Jesus have come doing? He'd have come with a huge sack dispensing iPads, wouldn't he? He'd have come running get-rich-quick seminars. But he doesn't. He comes and says, turn back to our Father that our relationship with our heavenly Father is satisfied. And until we rest in him, our hearts will never be satisfied. As we close this series today, I wonder if you'd notice the thread that's run through all these sermons. Is that unless we seek God, unless pursuing God is our chief concern, we will pursue all manner of other things. We'll try and fill our lives with sex or with comfort or with possessions or with food, but we will never be satisfied. We will never truly enjoy the good life until we rest in Jesus Christ. So don't believe in the lie. Life does not consist in an abundance of stuff despite what everything tries to tell us. But the second world, the second lie the world presses on us is you've got to look after number one. If you are not single-mindedly, doggingly working for yourself, then you're going to fall behind because it's a rough world out there. And friends, if we, if we feel like that, then, then we won't be generous because being generous, again, is risky. But do you see what Jesus says? That's not true. It's a lie. Because we're not alone. We have, if we're a Christian, if we're a believer in Jesus Christ, we have a heavenly father who cares for us. And friends, hear how tenderly Jesus speaks to us in these next verses. Telling us how our father cares for his children. Look at verse 22. Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you'll wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't, build, they don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth more than birds? Or consider the wildflowers. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink. And don't be anxious for the Gentiles. That is the unbelievers. The Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things. And your father knows you need them. But seek his kingdom. And these things will be provided for you. Such a beautiful picture, isn't it? 
Jesus is not saying we shouldn't work hard or, or that we shouldn't be wise in how we save, but it's not us versus the world. Do you see the wonder of this? God is promising. If you are his child, he'll look after you. The one who's believed in Jesus is welcomed into God's family. The creator of this universe, the one who made all this stuff, is our father. So we don't need, like unbelievers, to fret and worry and strive greedily today, worrying we might not have enough tomorrow, because our heavenly father will give us what we need tomorrow, so we can serve him generously today. I loved Ming's honesty just now. And it must be so hard, mustn't it? If, if your upbringing has been that you must get a good job, you must win security for your family, this must be so hard to break. And Ming was so honest about that. Generosity is hard. And yet our Heavenly Father says to us, I have got your back. Friends, let's let creation teach us this. Today as we go out and we see a bird, remember that bird does not have a barn. And yet God feeds it. And you are more valuable than a bird. As we see a wildflower, I don't know where you'll see a wildflower in Auckland. You'll see a weed maybe on the side of the road. <laughs> Look at that weed. Even a weed is beautiful. It didn't grow and spin and strive and toil. It's beautiful. But it'll be gone tomorrow. And yet God cares for it. And how much more us. We do not need to strive by ourselves. And friends, this is not just a, a one-off kind of throwaway comment from Jesus. This is a repeated refrain in the scriptures, isn't it? Think of Psalm 23, the most famous psalm in the Bible. But the most famous psalm in the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. I, how does it finish? I will lack nothing. I will lack nothing. One of my, I was going to say heroes, but I don't really know very much about him. But I, I, I went, I deliberately went and bought a picture of a man called Obadiah Sedgwick. And I bought it because he says these words that I have so marveled over. They're remarkable words. Obadiah Sedgwick, the Puritan, reflecting on these verses, uh, on verses like this, says this. No good man, that is to say in his context, no Christian, no Christian ever lacked anything that was good for him. I may lack a thing which is good, but not which is good for me. Friends, think about this for a minute. It's remarkable. No Christian ever lacked anything which was good for him. I may lack a thing which is good, but not which is good for me. There's a whole stack of stuff that's good that I lack. I lack a sports car. It's a good thing. I lack a million dollars in my KiwiSaver. It's a good thing. I don't have it. I lack a, a, a fancy coffee machine. I don't have it. It's a good thing. I don't own a home. It's a good thing. I don't have it. But it's not a good thing for me, or my generous heavenly father would have given it to me. It's a wonderful truth, isn't it? Because my heavenly father, our heavenly father, has promised to give us every good thing. And the pledge of that is he has given us his most precious thing. That he sent his only son, his precious treasure of a son who he delighted in for all eternity to come to earth to suffer, that we might be welcomed back into his kingdom and set free. We who were rebels and enemies of God, welcomed back in as his children, princes and princesses of the king. And friends, if God does not withhold his son, why would he be stingy about giving us stuff that he made from dust? 
if we pray for something and in his good timing he doesn't give it to us, I take it it means we do not need it. It is a good thing but not good for us and I take it if we somehow grasped it illicitly and took it, it would be damaging to us. I find these verses, this phrase so comforting. And as we pray this, we can ask God for anything and know that if he does not give it to us, if the circumstances does not turn out as we thought it should, somehow it is for our good. Now there is deep mystery in there, but it is a wonder. And so we can be open-handed, knowing he will give us everything that is good. Last year, I massively wrestled with greed. Just before uh, the COVID thing uh, took off, I, I should probably just say that my pension is in the UK, and UK pensions are a little bit different to um, a KiwiSaver, and I can basically do whatever I want with that money. And so just before COVID, as things were taking off uh, and the stock market began to crash, I sold everything. It's a brilliant strategic move. What was not so strategic was not to put it back in at the bottom of the market. And so the market begins taking off, and I begin in horror to realize I, haven't got any, I don't own anything. And I began to panic. And I began to think, what will I do? I, I've got all this, this cash, but no investments. And so in my wisdom, I bought airline shares. Very sensible thing to do. Except the airline shares nearly went bankrupt, and so they divided the stock, and in an instant, I lost one-third of that money. And I began to, this is my pension, what am I doing? And I began to lie on my bed and ruminate. My day off, I'd look at the stock market and I'd spend an hour or so worrying, how, how will I get this money back? And it got to the point where it was driving me insane. And I had to stop and think about this. And I drilled down, what on earth is going in my heart? And I thought, well, it's in my pension. Why do I need that money in my pension? I don't need it now. And I thought, this money in my mind is there so that I can buy a house for Charlie and me when we're older, so I have somewhere to live. And I thought on verses like this, and I thought, do I really believe that God will leave me homeless? I might not be able to buy a house, but will I be on the streets? No, I don't believe that. In fact, I've seen time and time again him providing for me. As we came up to Auckland, thinking we'd be here for two weeks, he's lovingly cared for us in, part, in a large part through you guys. And I realized I didn't believe that. And I, I preached these kind of verses to my heart, and my heart sang for about two weeks. And then I began to worry again, I began to, to ruminate, and I, I, I'd fantasize about the day I'd looked at the Tesla shares when it was in, in the bottom, and, and I fantasized that I'd bought them, and my mind was consumed that suddenly I was a millionaire. It was ridiculous. And I thought, what is going on? I, I know God will provide for me. He'll provide what I need. And then I realized this is the problem. As I dreamed of my future, I imagined I'd live in a certain area, and I'd have a certain size house, and I'd be able to go out for lunch whenever I wanted, and I'd be able to fly around the world and see what I wanted. And I realized deep in my heart there was greed, that I believed what this rich man believed, that life consisted in the abundance of possessions, and that my retirement should be one of possessions and experiences as I delighted. And that greed drove me crazy. It stressed me out. It consumed me. It was like a weed that was growing in my heart, choking spiritual life. And I guarantee you, if it were not for the grace of God, it would one day kill me, kill me spiritually, as it dragged me away from Jesus. Greed is deadly, and its impact is now. 
So friends, do not believe the lies of this world. Look and see. We have eternal souls. It does not consist in an abundance of possessions now. And we have a heavenly father who cares for us so we can live for him. But the thing we need to see is we need to embrace the kingdom of God. For the best life now, we need to live wholeheartedly for the kingdom of God, generously seeking the kingdom of God. Have a look at verse 31. Jesus says, seek his kingdom, and all these things will be provided for you. Because as we seek the kingdom, as we delight in Jesus, as we pursue Jesus' glory, all the things we worry about will be given to us. It's different, isn't it, to how we think. We kind of think, I'll, 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 um, I'll look after myself, and if there's money or time left over, well, I'll give that to the kingdom. And Jesus says, no, we've got it back to front. Give to the kingdom first. It's a bit scary, isn't it? So Jesus carries on, verse 32. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. So seek God's kingdom first. And you see, friends, this word is for our good. Because as we sell our possessions and give to the poor, we make money bags for ourselves that don't, won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, my friends, there your heart will be also. So don't live for stuff today that's here today and gone tomorrow. Stuff that quickly goes out of fashion or is broken and ends up in the dump. Live for eternity. Invest in the kingdom. And we do that by giving to the poor. And as we do so, we're promised a return in heaven. As we do that, we move our hearts spiritually to heaven. We, we move them from this world into heaven where our treasure is stored. It may be that in God's kindness, God has put some materially poor people, materially needy people around you in your life. Praise God. Isn't that a wonderful chance to invest in God's kingdom? to build and buy some money bags there. But maybe there are no materially poor people in your circles. But I guarantee you there are spiritually poor and bankrupt people. And we need to see the joy it is to serve them and so invest in the kingdom. D.L. Moody was a great uh, evangelist at the end of the 19th century. He grew up in a very humble uh, he was from a very humble background and grew up in, in near poverty. His, his family farm was seized when he was a child, when his father died. And Moody, when he was just about old enough, went west to make money. And when he was in the west, he had dreams of becoming a millionaire. And during that period, he was converted. But his dream, his, his almost obsession, was to run a business empire. But during his weekends, he'd go to the slums of Chicago and he'd teach these poor children in the slums. And one day, there was a prayer meeting. And a prayer meeting for, for young girls. And all of those girls had been converted the day before by the pleas of their teacher who was, who was suffering a terminal illness. He was on his deathbed and he pleaded with them, live for Jesus. And they all, these hard-hearted girls, gave their lives to Jesus. And in that prayer meeting, they, they prayed one by one, and, and Moody had never heard anything like it. These faltering prayers of baby believers with hardly any education from a poor background. And Moody's biographer 
said this. As Moody heard these genuine, fervent thanksgivings, these earnest petitions, the 100,000 gold dollars of his dreams just turned to tinsel. What was running a business empire compared to investing in the kingdom of God and snatching these children from hell? Now, Moody became a full-time preacher of the gospel. But he was backed up by many people who were business people who gave generously for the kingdom because they understood this and they gave from their wealth. And there were many who did not have wealth but still backed it because they saw the glorious vision of the kingdom that there was nothing greater than investing in eternity and changing people's eternal destinies. And so they backed up Moody. Friends, what is our riches compared with the joy of changing people's eternal destiny? Whatever your gifts, whatever your talents, whatever your riches, as you understand the glory of the kingdom, don't you long to invest in it? Isn't that much better than the tinsel of this life? Seek first the kingdom. I take it. The first way for us to partner is generously to partner with our local church, whether that's this church or another church that we belong to if we're a visitor. When I first joined a church, I'd been a Christian a few months, I thought the church was like going to the cinema. And I remember to my shame where I was sitting in the church uh, as I thought this, as the offering bag was coming around, and I thought I could have gone to the cinema next door, and it would have been about the same time. It was like a 90-minute sort of service, and films 90 minutes, and well, it would have cost me 10 pounds. So I opened my wallet, and I fished in my wallet, and I pulled out 10 pounds. It's a cinema ticket. Put it in. Friends, don't think like that about giving to church. It's not even about making sure we give enough to cover the running costs of church. Give to your local church to advance the kingdom of God, to see the world change now and into eternity. Friends, as we think of our 2030 vision, think of that vision to build a gospel hub, not because we want to rain shelter so that we can be more comfortable, so that we can fire some of the pack and save team. It's not about that. (laughs) It's so we can have a presence in the community and shine the light of the gospel to this dying world. Think about why we want to raise up church planters. When you think about it, actually to do that is remarkably generous because we're going to take some of the people whom we love dearly and we're going to pay for them to go somewhere else and then they're going to train and they may not come back to us and serve us. They may go to some other part of New Zealand and we not only lose those people, we paid for the privilege of losing them. It's costly, but it's glorious. The souls in Levin or Wellington or some other place spring from hell and become followers of Jesus. It's glorious. But we don't just do this for love of neighbor. We don't just do this for love of God. If we love ourselves, we'll do this. Because if we are not careful, the weed of greed will grow in our hearts as it was growing in my heart last year and will choke the spiritual life out of us. And yet as we give to church, as we help each other give to church, we train ourselves to live for eternity. Friends, if we're not giving to a local church, what have we not understood? What have we missed about the glory of the kingdom? 
Well, as we finish, three practical steps. Very quickly, three practical steps to help us seek the kingdom of God. First, seek the kingdom joyfully and thankfully. So striking, isn't it, in this rich man's parable, that everything he has is from God. His fields grew because God made it. And in the same way, everything we have, everything in your cupboards, in your pantry, and in your home, in your car, everything, it's from our Father, isn't it? And so give thanks and recognize that. And as we see that, as we rejoice in the way he's blessed us, our hands begin to open. Because we didn't earn it. We didn't strive for it. He gave it to us. And so freely we can give back. And friends, let that gospel truth melt your heart. Look at Jesus, the one that though he was rich for our sakes became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich. And let it melt our hearts and give generously, not stingily, not begrudgingly, but joyfully to seek the kingdom. Secondly, give intentionally. Seek the kingdom intentionally. In 1 Corinthians 16, uh, Paul urges people who um, he was encouraging to, to take up a collection. He urges them at the beginning of the week to set something aside. Now, we live in a more complicated economy, don't we? Most of us don't get paid week by week. But if our co- economy is more complicated, how much more so do we need to be intentional? I love that uh, God, me, and money program. It's God, me, and money, God, money, me, whichever way around it is. I looked at it yesterday. It, it looks great. Seven-minute videos coming into your inbox every day. If you've not thought intentionally about how to seek the kingdom, sign up for that. But maybe you have. Well, let me ask you, are you still intentionally seeking the kingdom? Because if we're not, then it will just get crowded out, won't it? And I take it that intentionality requires some kind of lateral thinking. Because what is generous for one may not be generous for others. If we prayerfully look at our bank accounts and our spending before God, it may be that some of us realize actually we're striving for too high a standard living, that we're too eager to buy a home and our saving for the deposit has throttled and killed our generosity. But it may be that actually others, it would be totally different. It may be that for others, the cost of home ownership has put us off, but we should actually make that a priority so that we can commit to being in this area for the next 10, 20, 30 years to generously live here and use that home to seek the kingdom. There's not a one-size-fits-all thing here, but the question is, are we doing it intentionally? I take it that means some, as they retire, will need to pull back. You long to be generous, but your means don't make it, and without guilt, pull back. But do it intentionally. Seek the kingdom intentionally. And then third, seek the kingdom sacrificially. Someone might say, how much is generous? How much is greedy? But friends, this isn't about rules, is it? This is about our hearts. Some will say, oh, well, in the Old Testament, they gave 10%. Well, actually, as you look at the Old Testament, it's way more complicated than that. There wasn't just one tithe of 10%. There were multiple tithes. And it looks like they gave much closer to 30 or 40% of their gross income. But anyway, the New Testament doesn't give us a number. It says be generous. It says look at Jesus and let him melt your heart in thankfulness. You can't draw a line, can you, between day and night. But it doesn't mean we don't know when it's midnight. It's the same with generosity. I'm told that in North America, more money, more money from Christians goes to pet food than to world mission. Isn't that a shocking statistic? 
It's not a dig at North Americans. I, I can't believe that Kiwis are much better. British people are much better. But if that's true, it suggests that maybe it's midnight on the greed factor. So let's sacrificially seek the kingdom. Are there times we have said no to something? Said no to consumption, said no to putting in the savings account to seek intentionally the kingdom of God. If we do this, it means there'll be things we don't have. Maybe we won't eat out so much as our unbelieving friends. Maybe we won't have such a big wardrobe. Maybe we won't have such a lovely range of stuff in our home. But you know what? We'll be building a kingdom treasure in heaven that cannot be taken from us. And there'll be people who will rejoice because we were rich towards God and their eternal destinies were changed because of it. Because the one who is rich towards God, God will be rich to. So friends, do not believe the world's lies. It's not about our stuff. We don't have an ogre taskmaster God trying to twist money out of us. We have a heavenly father who cares for us. So let's seek the best life now by eagerly, joyfully pursuing his kingdom, knowing his great love for us. May God have mercy on us to melt our hard hearts and seek him. Let's pray together. Just a moment to think and respond to our Father, to what the Spirit has said to our hearts. Maybe some determining that they need to change things. Maybe some determining they need to come and rejoice in their Father and all he's given to us. Maybe some convicted for the first time that actually they've lived despising God because they're devoted to money and longing to receive that welcome into God's family. Father, we long, take the cries of our hearts and use them. Make them the people you designed us to be. People who are generous. People who, hold, who do not grasp to the things you've given us, but freely let them go, knowing that you love us immeasurably and give us all that we need. Father, with great joy, might you change us for your son's glory, for our good, and for the good of this dying world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.